his oath, his covenant, his blood. How can we have confidence to trust ourselves to our Heavenly Father, not only with the salvation of our souls, but especially with the living out of our lives as we still live in a fallen world as those who still have the flesh and the devil working on us. How do we entrust ourselves? It is because of his oath, his covenant, which he has sealed, which he has fulfilled, even to the shedding of his blood. How seriousness does God take his promises? Well, he has guaranteed them through the death and resurrection of his son. And so as those whose hope is built on this Christ and this Christ alone, let's go to him as we express our needs, uh, we express our dependence upon his grace to live as his people in this world. Our Heavenly Father, what an amazing privilege it is to be your people, to be known by you and to know you in return. We thank you for this privilege and we ask, Lord, that you, through this service of worship and through the ongoing working of your spirit through the means of grace, that our hearts would constantly return, that our hearts would constantly be reoriented to who you are and who we are as your people. There are many things going on about us right now, Lord, that once again are crying out to us and tempting us to live our lives from an earthly perspective. And so fill us through your word and sacrament today with the manifold glories of our life in Christ as those who are no longer dead in our sins, but who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Feed us and nourish us with heavenly realities. And may we be the perfume and the bouquet of the heavenly places here amongst the stench of a cursed world. Father, we pray with regards to the ongoing concerns with COVID-19 and ask that you would help us to be a people who would entrust ourselves to your care and that we would not allow this to uh, be a, a, an opportunity of fear, but instead an opportunity of love. Help us to be wise, help us to follow uh, what we believe you are teaching us to do in loving you and loving our neighbors during this time. We ask, Lord, for your protection, and yet, Lord, we do so knowing that you do not guarantee that in this life we will not experience disease. And so, Lord, fill us with the hope that there is a day coming that there is a new body waiting for us, that there is going to be the fullness of a new creation with the new heavens and the new earth where we will experience that type of existence. But until then, Lord, fill us with the courage to keep pressing forward 
in the wisdom of the cross, being willing to love you and our neighbor by seeing others as more important than ourselves. We ask that you would provide strength to, the, to those who are serving uh, in, as doctors and nurses and first responders. We pray that you would provide wisdom to the scientists that continue uh, to work on, on uh, medicines in order to, uh, to deal with this problem. Lord, we pray for the governing authorities and ask that you would humble them so that they would stop seeing this as a political opportunity, regardless of what uh, side of the aisle they are on, and instead would find a way to work together to promote the good uh, to the people that are here. And we pray this, Lord, not only for those who are here within our county and our city, our state, and our country. We pray this for those who are around the world. We especially pray for those who are in the poorer areas, Lord, where they do not have the same level of protections that we experience here in, uh, in, in Paulding County and in Cobb County. We pray that you would be pleased to provide them the medicines that they need. We pray that you would uh, continue to call people to go to them and, and to provide them the, um, the blessings of common grace that are still uh, present and able to be enjoyed even in a fallen world. We pray not only for the situation with COVID-19, Lord, but we pray for what is going on in Afghanistan. Lord, there are many that are heartbroken right now over what has transpired so quickly. And we especially pray this morning for our brothers and sisters in Christ who now find themselves closed off and being targeted by the Taliban. We pray that you would grant them a, a, a way to, uh, towards freedom, if that is your purpose. But we pray regardless, Lord, that you would grant them a supernatural faith and courage to continue to bear witness to Jesus Christ, not fearing those who can only harm the body, but instead entrusting themselves to the one who will take care of their souls. Father, we especially pray for the women and for the young girls who are especially targeted if they are Christians, but who are also targeted regardless of their faith as they are stolen and taken away into slavery, as they are used and abused by wicked men. Lord, grant them safety and provide people the courage to go and to help. Provide people, uh, provide those who would give the money that is necessary, those who would give the time, those who would give uh, of their own safety. We pray, Lord, for, the, for that country as it once again is already becoming a haven for terrorists and those who would plan evil, both there within Afghanistan and throughout the world. Father, we do not understand your providence and we do not understand how all of these things work, but you do. And so help us not to try to, to figure it out and, or to try to correct you or, or to give up, but 
but instead, Lord, help us to entrust ourselves to your fatherly care and to continue to bear witness to the splendor of your grandeur, regardless of the circumstances that are taking place within this world. May we see the true depths of what Christ has done for us in taking our sin upon himself, the true depths of the expression of your love as Jesus died as an expression of it. And may this be a powerful message to the Taliban and to the other Islamic terrorists and to everyone throughout this world that there is hope to be found in this world, a hope that can be found in nothing but Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, use us, whether we stay here, whether we are serving our children, our homes, our workplaces, the broader community, or even, Lord, if you call us to go out into this world, use us as the bouquet and the aroma of your presence so that people would know that there is something superior and greater, not only to this world, but even to the temptation of trying to control and to manipulate and, and to try to overcome the curse through one's own efforts. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Ecclesiastes. This morning, we come to the end of this study of, uh, of Ecclesiastes as we are going to take up the, uh, the epilogue uh, here. As you turn there, uh, we will take up our collection and um, just remind you, of the love gift legacy uh, that there is also that opportunity to give to as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. 
of making many books there is no end and much and much study is a wearisome uh, weariness of the flesh the end of the matter all has been heard fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil let's pray our heavenly father give us wisdom and insight into your word that you led solomon to record and to pass down to us words of delight and words of truth fill us with these things lord we pray in jesus name amen there is nothing new to be said in this last sermon in the book of Ecclesiastes. What we find here in this epilogue is um, a summary of everything that he has said up until this point. And in that summary, what we find once again is there is this emphasis, not simply upon God's truth, but the delight of that truth. I've had several people uh, talk to me about this sermon series that we have done in Ecclesiastes and, and how they've interacted with it, and it hasn't been what they were expected. And uh, typically my response is, yeah, me too. I would not have preached it this way earlier on in my ministry because I would have been focusing on the wrong thing. Yes, what we have here is a presentation that life under the curse, because of the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, life here uh, is hevel. It is vanity. It is empty. It is temporary. Now, this doesn't mean negative. What it means, it's a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's not permanent. But there is something permanent that is coming. And even in a world that is experiencing the curse of God for sin, there is still the presence of God and his gifts to enjoy as those following him through a cursed world in anticipation of the permanence that is coming. And as we wait, the wisdom that Solomon has for us, as we have said, has been summed up in this phrase, how dying informs good living. How the reality of our coming death actually does promote within us approaching this life appropriately. Not train, trying to make something out of this world that it can't be. Not trying to make something out of ourselves that we can't be. Not trying to make something out of the church that it can't be. But that we are embracing the God who has made, the God who has cursed, and the God who is redeeming in order to bring all of that from creation to the fall, to redemption, into glory. And the wisdom 
that Solomon is presenting to us in this book is the wisdom that says even in a fallen world, there is still truth here that can help us to live not only wisely, but to enjoy the good life. He is writing words here, we are told, that are for the purpose of delight. And for some reason, every time I read that before, I somehow missed that. And not only me, but apparently a lot of commentaries as well, where there are even conservative, reformed, evangelicals who will say that the overall presentation of Ecclesiastes is negative. Beloved, dying informs good living because it puts everything into its proper perspective. And that proper perspective and all the different things that we've said in all of these different sermons can be boiled down to two things. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now by fear God here, the temptation can be to, to ask the question, what does it mean to fear God? Not that that's a bad question, but what we want to ask is, what does Solomon mean by fear God on the basis of what Solomon has said here in this book of Ecclesiastes? One of the things that I've seen in a lot of commentaries is they get to this and they say, all right, so this first summary point, fear God, and they immediately say, so what does it mean to fear God? And they immediately jump outside of the book of Ecclesiastes. But this is the seventh time in Ecclesiastes where Solomon has told us to fear God. The seventh time. In fact, many think that you can structure, if there is a structure <laughs> to this book, that you can structure it around these statements from Solomon about fearing God. Solomon begins this book by saying, look, the world is hevel. It is fallen. He talks about how instead of utilizing the gifts and blessings of God as a way of enjoying God, he went off on his own. And what he describes is a life where he forgot God, where he did not live as if God were present with him, where he did not live as if God was present with Israel. Uh, he lived as if God had not spoken. He lived as if God had not redeemed. He lived in light of, of, an, of the earthly blessings, and he cut God out of that process. And the result, he said, was more hevel. It was empty. It was vain. It was, it was passing away. He forgot God. He abused God's gifts. And then he describes in chapter 3 how he basically tried to remake Eden. He tried to remake, he tried to restore what was lost by Adam and Eve through his own efforts. And where did it find him? Frustrated. Feeling once again the emptiness and the vanity that his efforts could not overcome his condition. And then the, in the rest of the book, he unfolds these different ideas 
and, and reasons as to why in response to the acknowledgement that we live in a cursed world as those who have experienced the curse and as those who can do nothing to overcome that curse, what do we do? He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. And so there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This I saw was from the hand of God. So in 3.14, he says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, he says, nor can anything be taken away from it. To reflect here on what is permanent and what is lasting, namely God and his sovereign ordering of human affairs, is part of what it means to fear God. It is to realize that God does exist, that God has created, that God is ruling over his creation, that God has established what is, and nothing is lacking. And nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken away from it. Now think about that. When you think of, okay, I'm going to fear the Lord, is that what comes to mind? That I'm going to embrace more and more consistently the God who exists and who is providential over this world. And when I'm tempted because of Afghanistan falling apart in in the course of a number of days to start becoming fearful, I will instead understand Afghanistan through the lens of the God who is eternal in Afghanistan, which has always been intended to be temporary. The short-lived vanities of this world reveal all the more clearly the enduring work of God, to which nothing can be added. The absolute sovereignty of God and his purposes is meant to bring human beings to a sense of humble reverence and awe. So to fear God is to reflect on what is permanent and what is lasting, namely God and his sovereign ordering of this world. To fear God also includes reflecting on God's holy and righteous character as determining how we live in this world as followers of him. In chapter 5, he talked a lot about what it means in the fear of God to then be a worshiping people and to come to temple as those who are listeners rather than as those who are Talkers. Draw near to listen, he says, not instruct. Draw near to keep your promises. When the anxieties of this life are tempted for, uh, to make us either want to try to control our lives or for us to kind of give up and, and not be concerned about our lives, 
The temptation is to bring that into worship, and what can happen is we come to worship with a lot of anxieties, a lot of ideas about what's wrong in this world, and a lot of ideas about how things should be, and what happens, he says, is we can bring this to God and we start trying to instruct him rather than learn from him. We try to teach him instead of listening to him. We try to tell him what should be and what shouldn't be instead of him telling us that regardless of what is, he is over it all. To reflect on God's holy and righteous character as those who live in awe of him is part of what it means to fear God. In chapter 7, he talks again about fearing God. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. What he's talking about here is that when we are able to fear the Lord by focusing on what is permanent instead of focusing on what is temporary, focusing on him and his sovereign ordering of all of our affairs, when we're able to do that and to be people who worship him, who continue to learn from him and receive his perspective, what it helps us to be able to embrace in a cursed world is this. Things are not always going to make sense, and they're not always going to be just. There is a counterintuitive nature to life in a fallen world. That means sometimes the wicked get celebrated and the righteous get condemned. It means that sometimes the wicked advance and, and make money and, and get glory, earthly glory, and that the righteous are rejected, persecuted, have no voice. It means sometimes in life the wicked are the ones who are determining from an earthly perspective what seems to be happening. And the righteous seem to be ignored. But what has God said? Even in those circumstances, are the wicked determining? No. God has ordered the, the affairs sovereignly. If you can't accept that life in a cursed world is often going to look upside down, you will remain frustrated aggravated and tempted to either try to control or to give up. And what does God say? You've got to be able to rightly understand how things are in a fallen world so that you're not caught off uh, caught by surprise, that, that they don't throw you off, so that they don't lead you into these bad responses, but so that in acknowledging that things don't make sense, it takes you back to the one who understands it perfectly.
This doesn't mean just accept how things are and go about your day. It means accept what is from the perspective that God is ordering this and that God has told us, so here's what you do even in an upside down world. Here's what you do in serving me even if that means your service to me goes completely unnoticed. Here's what you do for me, even if your service to me doesn't change one thing around you. Sometimes it will, and sometimes it won't. But regardless, he says, when you are focusing on what is permanent and the God who is present and the God who is overseeing these things and you are entrusting yourself to him, you will live for him and serve him regardless of the earthly payout because of the eternal payout that is coming. In chapter 8, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had, where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Why? Because they fear God before him but it will not be well with the wicked neither will he uh, the wicked prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God to reflect uh, to, to fear God means to reflect on the hope that God is not just overseeing things but he is going to make them right. There is no promise that he will make them right in this life. The promise is that a day is coming when he will. To fear the Lord is to reflect on what is permanent, what is eternal, even in a world that is temporary and passing away. It is, to, it is to cultivate what R.C. Sproul used to love to talk about over and over and over, and that's living quorum Deo, living before the face of God, realizing that every second of your day is lived out in the presence of your God who is with you, cultivating that god consciousness because beloved guess what some people like Solomon and like Israel they might forget God by you know kind of forgetting that he's there forgetting what he has done forgetting what he has said in, in the big picture right where Solomon chased after these other women and through them chased after their gods where Israel chased after the gods of the nations rather than being the truth of the one true God to the nations, right? There was this temptation that they gave in. And by forgetting God, it wasn't that they developed amnesia. It's that they left behind their covenant oath to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love their neighbor as themselves. 
And guess what? You and I in this room, we may not forget, by, forget God by saying, I reject Jesus and I'm going to go out and live like a heathen. But every one of us during the day forget God. Every one of us throughout the day go through different periods where we may be focusing on something good, but in the process, forget that God is with us. Don't engage in every activity throughout the day in a spirit of prayer. I, I do that. I can do that while preparing worship. Beloved, you and I struggle with forgetting God. Where the temporary, where the finite takes over our thinking. Rather than the eternal and the heavenly. And as a result, you and I will struggle to entrust ourselves to God's sovereignty, and then we will take actions to make up with, for his mistakes. Or we will just check out, and we'll lose hope. It doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter what I do. Nothing I do is going anywhere. Nothing I do is, is having any success. I've been, I've been sharing Christ with my coworker for 20 years, and they won't even listen to me. What's the point, right? All of us struggle in different ways with this concept of allowing the temporary to take hold and forgetting of the, of the infinite, of forgetting God during the day. And what Solomon is telling us, what we are to do to live the good life in a cursed world is to cultivate the fear of God so that we are cultivating on a daily basis, as often as we can, on every, in every day, a God consciousness that God is with me. And the God who is with me, that I am living in front of, is the God who has all of this figured out. And he has all of it under his control. And he is moving all of it to his appointed purposes and ends. That's what it means to fear God. And it will express itself in reverence. It will, it will express itself in awe. It will express itself in gratitude. It will express itself in trust. It will express itself in embracing what God has said. So it will express itself in keeping God's commands. Fear God and keep his commands. And remember that within this book, the commands that he has given us are to enjoy good food. To enjoy your relationships. To enjoy, remember last week? Enjoy your youth. Celebrate it. Make the most of it. it, it it's to in, it, when you cultivate the, that reality of the permanence of God's presence in your life and that he manifests that through his good gifts that he gives us within this world, then what you will do is in the fear of God, 
you will embrace what he has said and you will strive to live more and more according to what he has revealed. Properly utilizing his gifts instead of abusing them. Properly through his gifts tasting of his goodness instead of trying to taste of some kind of finite goodness by cutting God out of his gifts. Fearing God and keeping his commands. And the commands here are not simply don't do this, don't do that. It includes that. But it also includes the commands of find your joy and your satisfaction in God. Pursue your joy and satisfaction in God. Deal with the realities of the fallen world by enjoying the blessings of God. Tangible, real blessings where God, through finite, created things, is communicating his presence and his goodness and his bounty. As we come before the Lord's Supper this morning, what we are coming before once again is an opportunity through a tangible expression, not just of God's presence and not just of God's goodness, but a tangible expression of God's grace, his saving grace. What we are doing is through the interaction with finite things here, we are embracing the eternal. Through the finite, we are embracing the God who is permanently with us, who has permanently taken up his residence with us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Where we are holding the bread and holding the cup as a reminder of the permanence of our relationship with God, not only with regards to our spiritual lives, but in the reality that we will have new bodies when the new heavens and the new earth are revealed. That the permanence of God with his people, as that is embodied in his son Jesus Christ, is communicated to us in the Christ who took on flesh, to the Christ who was raised to a new body, to the Christ who is the eternal God, who is also going to be forever man, the eternal God who has taken on flesh, who has been raised to new flesh, who will embody, be embodied in that new flesh for eternity, the permanence of the eternal and the concrete being made real to us in the person of Jesus Christ and in the work of Christ, by which, by one single sacrifice for sins, he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. Beloved, what Solomon is telling us to do in this life is to embrace the permanence of God, to taste of that permanence through the tangible blessings of God in this world, and as we do that, we remember that God is going to make all of this right. And he's going to bring everything into, into judgment, we are told. And what does Solomon say here? We, when we hear that, we tend to think negative, right? He's going to bring everything into judgment. 
And that's true. There is a negative aspect of that, that people's sin is going to be revealed. And if they're found to be outside of Christ, they are going to be judged. And they are going to receive the wages of their sin. But notice here, he also says what's going to be judged and revealed is also every good work. When we are tempted to think that trusting God has become too risky because I'm not seeing an immediate earthly payout to what I am giving to him in service. When we are tempted to think, I keep trying to stand for, for, for God's truth, and yet I'm being rejected. I'm, I'm being sidelined. The church is becoming more and more ignored. So what's the purpose? The purpose is that there is a time coming when that service to God will be revealed, and he will delight in that in front of you, and you in the goodness of your service to the Lord, which may not be appreciated by sinful people in a sinful world, will be celebrated by your eternal God, who is holy and who is righteous, and who will delight in what you did for him, even if in our finite perspective, it didn't seem to be accomplishing anything right now. Live for the permanence of the eternal things of the eternal God who has sovereignly ordered all things, who is carrying them out, who will see us through the topsy-turvy nature of the cursed world and who will make all things right. And taste of him now so that you may have the sustenance to follow him through the wilderness of this life to the bounty of the paradise of something better than Eden that will come when Christ returns in fullness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need the eternal perspective that you give to us in your word. And so give us the courage we need, Lord, to actually trust you. Not just in the things that don't scare us. Not just in the things where it's easy. Not just in those places where our, our gifts and our, our talents and our treasures tend to uh, make things not as difficult. But especially in the areas of our lives, Lord, where we are tempted either to control or to check out. Help us to entrust ourselves to you and to therefore serve you regardless of the earthly payout and to attempt great things for you as those whom you have united to your son, Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.